I'm your host, Vanessa Levin, and on this podcast, I'm going to share the tools and training you need to teach better, save time, and live more. If you're ready to get started teaching smarter, not harder, then head over to prekpages.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by ESGI, an online assessment tool that gives you a quick and easy snapshot of your students' early learning progress. With ESGI, you can target your instruction and help 100% of your students be kindergarten ready. You're listening to Elevating Early Childhood. I'm Vanessa Levin, your host, and I help teachers of preschool and pre-K teach better, save time, and live more. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the ins and outs of small group time and how to make it work for you. Ready? Let's dive in. So question number one is, what are small groups? (laughs) So in a nutshell, small groups are a highly effective instructional method that allows you to target your instruction to meet the needs of each student in your classroom. Question number two is, why are small groups so important? Now, you see, it used to be common practice to teach everything to the entire class at the same time. This was before it was proven that the human brain learns at its own individual pace and therefore teaching the same thing to every student at the same time was ineffective. It's no longer considered best practice to teach your entire class the same thing in a whole group format. Instead, teaching in small groups allows you to easily differentiate your instruction for your students. And the benefits of daily small group instruction are much greater than those of whole group instruction. Scaffolding is another important aspect of small group instruction. When you provide specific support to help a child move to the next level of learning, this is commonly referred to as scaffolding your instruction. To successfully scaffold for a child, the teacher must understand the learning continuum for each specific skill and know where each child is on that continuum. This is a much more skilled way to teach as opposed to teaching everyone the same thing at the same time. So now that we're all on the same page when it comes to what small groups are, let's get into the nitty gritty and talk about question number three, which is how long should small groups last? This is where a lot of teachers get lost. So listen up. Small groups are only effective if they're short and sweet. Yes, you heard me right, short and sweet. Now, we all know that young children have very short attention spans, am I right? So it only makes sense that our small group time should match those attention spans. Remember, in episodes 22 and 23, I covered how long the average attention span is for each age group. So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, you can go back and catch up. Keeping things short and sweet can be tricky for many teachers because we tend to want to teach until our students get it, am I right? So planning for small groups might require a slight mindset shift and careful planning until you get a feel for a time that's just right. And there's no law that says you can't modify a small group lesson and teach it again if it didn't go well the first time. Question number four is how many students should you have in each small group? 
So basically an effective small group has no less than three and no more than six students. Now, personally, I prefer to have no more than five students. Now, if your groups are too large, they tend to drag on for long periods of time. That brings us to question number five. How many groups should you have? And the answer to this question is really going to depend on how large your class is. Now, my ideal number of groups is four with a class of 20. But if you have more students than that, you might have more groups. And if you have fewer students than that, you might have fewer groups. So it really depends on how many students you have. Which brings me to question number six, which is how do you know which kids to put in which groups? So creating small groups is not a guessing game. A high quality early childhood program uses assessment data to create small groups. Assessments are a tool that highly effective teachers use to help their students get from educational point A to educational point B. Teaching without using assessment data is like driving a bus full of preschoolers blindfolded. Now, after you've collected your data, here is how you can form your small groups. So here is um, a paper assessment that I've done on a fictional class of preschoolers. And this paper assessment is very simple. Um, and you can see that I've color coded it with highlighters. Yellow is less than 10. Um, more than 20 is orange and more than 10 is green. So if we look at, let's count the greens, one, two, and three. So we have three students who know more than 10 letters of the alphabet, but not more than 20. So I'm gonna put those three into their own group. And let's look at another one that has low numbers. This is the orange, one, two, and three. Those three kids know more than 20. One of them knows all the letters. So there's three of those, they're gonna go in one group. That leaves one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, who know less than 10 letters. But that is gonna be an easy split, two groups of five. So I'm gonna get my four groups out of this class of 16 using this highlighting technique. And so that's how you can do it. That's one way rather that you can do that. Now, the most efficient assessment tools take the data that you've collected and create your small groups for you. And my favorite assessment, of course, is ESGI because it's super quick and easy. So that brings me to question number seven, which is where should you have your small group lessons in your classroom, like the physical place that you should locate your small groups? First, you'll want to designate a place in your classroom that is specifically for small group time. So your students will know where to go when it's their turn. I try to locate my small group area away from the noisy areas of the classroom, or rather the noisier areas like the block center and the dramatic play center. Now you can use a table for your small group or you can just sit on the carpet on the floor if you prefer. I've done it both ways over the years. And next, you'll need an area for your small group materials because you wanna have those all prepped in advance, right? Otherwise you're gonna lose their attention because the minute they come and sit with you in small group, their attention span clock starts ticking. So you can prep your small group materials on Thursday or Friday of the 
week before, so they'll be ready to go on Monday when you walk in. Now, I personally like to use color-coded bins or baskets, a different color for each day of the week or each group. Um, that works really well for me for storing my small group materials. You can also use those really colorful rolling carts for organizing your small group items. Here at Elevating Early Childhood, we're all about teaching smarter, not harder. And that's why I just had to tell you about one of my favorite time-saving tools, ESGI. I use ESGI to help me teach better because they have thousands of preloaded assessments I can use with the click of a button to figure out where my students are strong, where they need extra help, and where I should focus my small group instruction. It brings so much direction to my teaching so I can be confident that 100% of my students will be kindergarten ready by the end of the year. Plus, if you have assessments you already use and love, you can give yourself an upgrade from that tired, clunky old paper-based delivery. Simply design and build your own assessments right inside the Autotest Creator. ESGI is quick, easy, and saves tons of time gathering the data you need to teach like a pro. So what are you waiting for? Start teaching smarter, not harder, when it comes to student assessment. Just go to ESGISoftware.com and enter promo code PREKPAGES, that's P-R-E-K-P-A-G-E-S, to try ESGI for free for 60 days. And you can even save $40 on your first year's subscription. Now, back to the show. So question number eight is, when should you have small group time in your classroom? The truth is small groups are most effective when you have them daily. So find a place in your daily schedule that you can set aside for working with small groups. Now, you don't have to meet with every single small group every single day. That would be way too much for you and the kids. So just have that designated time in your schedule where you can meet with at least one, maybe two small groups every day. That way, by the, the time you get to the end of the week, you will have met with every single small group. That's working much smarter rather than harder. Now, question number nine is how do you manage small groups? And this is perhaps the biggest question that I get most often. So when it comes to managing your small groups, there are a few pitfalls you should try to avoid at all costs. And pitfall number one is splitting your class in half. And you take half and you lead a small group and your assistant takes half and he or she leads a small group. So that actually robs your children of the opportunity to practice independent learning and problem solving skills. So try to avoid that. Pitfall number two is to create your small groups based on behaviors and personalities and keep the kids in those groups all year long. While it may be tempting and it may seem like it makes sense, it's actually contrary to small group best practice. Your groups should be flexible and change whenever necessary based on your assessment data. And we know that all young children don't learn at the same pace, so it makes sense that not all children will travel along the same learning path, which means that your groups are going to change throughout the year. 
And this is also why we assess students more than one time per year. We assess them multiple times throughout the school year. And pitfall number three is probably the biggest pitfall that so many teachers fall victim to, and that is having your small groups during center time. If you have your small groups during center time, it's going to be an uphill battle because the lure of the blocks and the dramatic play and the art center are going to be too strong, and your small groups won't be successful if they're in competition with those high interest centers. Instead, you can have more than one center time in your daily schedule, one designated specifically for small groups. In my case, I did literacy small groups one time during the day, and then I had a designated time in my schedule for learning centers or traditional early childhood centers like blocks, art, dramatic play, etc. And that brings me to our last question, and that's question number 10. What types of activities do you do during small groups? And I'll have to answer that question with a question, and that is, what does your assessment data tell you? For example, if you have a group that knows less than 10 letters during your literacy small group, you're probably going to be doing some sort of letter activity. Right, And here's just one of the many, many hands-on activities we have at Pre-K Pages. I'll put the links in the show notes for you below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you are uh, listening along, go to Pre-K Pages and type in small group activities. So on the screen here for our viewers, I have a big letter C on a piece of paper. It has a little dotted yellow line down the middle of the C that's the letter C, and I have a little tiny car here. And this car came from Walmart, and it was in the like party favors section where they sell the really inexpensive party favors. So this, this car is not a heavy duty car that kids will be racing around with like a matchbox. It's a cheap little plastic thing. And I just used a Sharpie to write letters on the top of each car. I think I had to buy two packages to get 26. And now the children can get the bin of cars out and find the letter mats. So I have one letter mat for each letter of the alphabet and they can drive the cars on these letter mats. And so of course, if I did this in small group, I would be with them reinforcing where to start driving the letter. We always wanted to start at the top and go down and we would say the letter name, maybe the letter sound, depending on what we were working on. And then they would trade mats with each other, look for other letters all kinds of great letter learning with a very active hands-on approach. So there you have it, my top 10 small group questions answered. I hope that you got some tips or tricks you can take back and use right away in your classroom. If you're listening, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're watching along on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel so you'll be notified every time a new episode is released. Until next time, I'm Vanessa Levin, onward and upward. Thank you so much for listening to Elevating Early Childhood. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer raw and uncut right here on the podcast? All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and follow these three simple steps. Step one, leave an honest rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Step two, in that review, ask anything you want related to early childhood education. And step three, if you'd like a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name for me right there in your review. That's it. 
Easy squeezy, lemon peasy. Then listen in each week for a chance to hear your question answered right here on the podcast. Until next time, I'm Vanessa Levin from Elevating Early Childhood. Onward and upward. Onward and upward.